Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Hi, my name is Dr. Parastu Khalasi Hosseini, and today I'll be reading for you Case 29, titled 16-Month-Old Female with Foul-Smelling Diarrhea, written by Dr. Chapin and Dr. Pizak. Let's begin. A 16-month-old female presents with her foster mother to clinic with the chief complaint of loose, foul-smelling stools. What is the most likely diagnosis? In this age group, the most common cause of diarrhea is so-called toddler's diarrhea, also known as chronic nonspecific diarrhea of childhood. This is due to excessive juice consumption. These children typically pass frequent loose bowel movements without mucus or blood. Bowel movements typically become looser over waking hours due to the ingestion of offending beverages, with the most form stools occurring in the morning. It is common to see small, partially digested food particles in the stool. Growth should not be affected in a child with toddler's diarrhea, and the child should appear healthy with normal appetite and activity level. Symptoms may also include mild abdominal discomfort and distension. The pathophysiology of this condition relates to the increased intestinal motility an osmotic effect from intraluminal solutes, including sorbitol and fructose, in juices, sweetened beverages, and sports drinks. Treatment includes reassurance and minimizing the intake of the offending beverages. Time for a basic science clinical pearl. It is important to ask the child's caretaker about the specifics of the diarrhea. To some, increased frequency of formed stools represents diarrhea. Diarrhea is strictly defined as a stool volume greater than 10 grams per kilogram per day in infants and toddlers, greater than 200 grams per day in older children, and greater than 300 grams per day in adults. Chronic diarrhea is defined as diarrhea lasting for more than 14 days. Case point 29.1. The foster mother reports that since entering her care one month ago, Bowel movements are rotten-smelling with a tan, paste-like consistency. 
She has three bowel movements per day, typically occurring one to two hours after each meal. There are small undigested food particles in the stool, which often leak out of the diaper and onto her clothing. She's a picky eater and will only eat a small amount of food several times per day. The foster mother feels that she has to force her to sit down and eat. Abdominal distension occurs frequently after meals and resolves after a bowel movement. Loud flatus often precedes her bowel movements. The foster mother denies hard stools, straining with evacuation, and blood, mucus, or pus in the stools. The stool floats in the toilet when she empties it out of the diaper. The foster mother knows very little about the child's past medical history, except that her biologic mother was homeless, leading to removal of the toddler from her care. So what is the differential diagnosis at this point? A well-appearing child with normal growth parameters and chronic diarrhea in the setting of prior homelessness should be evaluated for chronic infectious diarrhea. The most common cause for diarrhea in all age groups are viruses and bacteria. In the toddler age group, other forms of malabsorption must be considered, such as food allergies, celiac disease, and inflammatory bowel disease. Although many infectious causes of diarrhea, including viruses such as Norwalk virus, rotavirus, and enteric adenoviruses, may cause acute diarrhea with short courses. Bacteria and parasites are more likely to cause chronic diarrhea, particularly in the immunodeficient host. Chronic infectious diarrhea is suggested historically by bloating, non-bloody diarrhea, bulky or foul-smelling stools, and potentially the development of suboptimal growth in a previously healthy and normally growing child. Risk factors include daycare attendance, drinking well water, exposure to bodies of fresh water including streams or lakes, or living in an undeveloped region with poor sanitation. Time for a basic science clinical pearl. Steatorrhea, diarrhea with excessive fat in the stool, causes it to look pale, float, and be exceptionally malodorous. Oil droplets, which represent undigested fat, may also be seen on the surface of the toilet water. Fat malabsorption in pediatrics may be due to chronic cholestatic liver disease, pancreatic insufficiency, and abnormal lymphatic drainage of the intestine. It is important to note, if the child with chronic diarrhea was born in or had recent visitors from a developing country, in this patient's case, her homeless living situation may have exposed her to unchlorinated water, or many other sick cohorts in daycare or a shelter. As noted in Table 29.1, the prevalent agents differ wildly between industrialized and developing nations. Time for a clinical pearl. A detailed diet history, including a 24-hour dietary recall or a three-day prospective diet history, is imperative when evaluating a child with chronic diarrhea. It is important to focus on the timing of food introduction and any subsequent change in stooling habits as well as the number of sweetened beverages, such as fruit juice and sports drinks. Symptoms that start with the introduction of solid foods may suggest food allergy or celiac disease. Diarrhea with rapid transit and gassiness can be due to cow's milk allergy and or lactase deficiency. Case point 29.2. Vital signs are within normal parameters for age. 
Anthropometrics include a weight of 9 kilograms, which is 10th percentile for age, length of 77 centimeters, which is 50th percentile for age, weight for length of 10th percentile, and head circumference of 46 centimeters, which is 50th percentile for age. These are identical to her visit one month ago. Physical examination reveals a thin, well-kempt, active toddler with non-dysmorphic features. Her abdomen is mildly distended and tympanic. A digital rectal examination reveals soft stool in the rectal vault and normal rectal tone. She has decreased subcutaneous fat stores in her extremities. Her examination is otherwise normal. So is this child's growth pattern concerning? Failure to thrive, FTT, is a term signaling that a child is receiving inadequate nutrition for optimal growth and development. It can be defined in several ways for a child of less than two years. A decrease in weight below the third or fifth percentile for age or two consecutive measurements, deceleration of weight crossing two major percentiles on the growth chart, Weight loss less than 80th percentile of the ideal body weight for age, or weight below the 3rd or 5th percentile for age. Examination of growth curves may show growth deceleration, primarily beginning with weight, then later deceleration in height, stagnant growth, or weight loss. Head circumference is usually preserved, except in severe cases of failure to thrive. Time for a clinical pearl. Examination of serial growth measurements is an essential aspect of all well-child care visits, and particularly for visits in which there is a concern for suboptimal growth. In our case, the child does not meet these failure-to-thrive criteria. However, because she is in foster care, we do not have her prior anthropometrics for comparison. Her weight for length of 10th percentile at this one isolated point in time, is concerning in the context of her chronic diarrhea. The physical examination of a distended abdomen and decreased subcutaneous fat stores and muscle bulk also point to protein-calorie malnutrition. Time for a clinical pearl. Protein-calorie malnutrition occurs when there is an inadequate caloric or protein intake to meet essential needs. In children, caloric and protein requirements are higher than in adults to promote growth. It can be divided into two types. Marasmus, when the child is not eating enough calories, and kwashiorkor, when protein intake is low, resulting in edema, thinning hair, and dermatitis. The underlying cause of failure to thrive is often multifactorial, and must include psychosocial as well as medical issues. Causes of failure to thrive can be divided into categories of inadequate nutritional intake, malabsorption, and increased metabolic demand, as outlined in Box 29.1. How should a child with failure to thrive be evaluated? When evaluating a child with potential failure to thrive, it is essential to complete a detailed history including dietary intake, family and prenatal history, assessment of family psychosocial dynamics, and a complete physical examination, including observation of development and parent-child interactions. The psychosocial assessment should evaluate for who lives in the home 
who cares for the child, history of depression or other mental illness in caretakers, caretaker stress, support, and fatigue, history of intimate partner violence, financial support of family, including government aid, and queries regarding parental perception of child's temperament and behavior. Growth parameters, including height, weight, and head circumference for children younger than two years, should be plotted serially on a growth curve. Children older than two years should also have a body mass index, or BMI, plotted. Careful physical examination may reveal phenotypic features characteristic of syndromes or underlying medical conditions associated with poor growth. This can be seen in figure 29.1 as well as box 29.2. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Time for a clinical pearl. Symmetric growth failure, low percentiles for weight, length, and head circumference evenly, from birth is suggestive of prenatal or in utero insult. Common reasons for this include infection, teratogen exposure, and chromosomal abnormalities. Case point 29.3. Complete blood count and serum chemistries are normal. Stool is sent for bacterial culture and microscopic examination for ova and parasites. Time for a basic science clinical pearl. Leukocytosis, or high white blood cell count, can be seen with infections, malignancies, allergies, and as a stress response to trauma or surgery. Iron deficiency, one of the most common micronutrient deficiencies in toddlers, would demonstrate a microcytic, or small red blood cell, anemia. Thrombocytosis, high platelet counts, is seen as an acute phase reactant to an infection, inflammation, and stress. Pancytopenia may indicate malignancy, with bone marrow infiltration or suppression of production by medication or infections, usually viral infections. Time for a basic science clinical pearl. Serum chemistries and chronic diarrhea may reveal hypokalemia and acidosis. Due to excessive loss of potassium and bicarbonate from gastrointestinal tract, Elevated transaminases, bilirubin, or alkaline phosphatase levels can indicate a hepatic cause for the diarrhea or an infection such as hepatitis A. Is imaging indicated? The value of radiologic studies in chronic diarrhea is limited. Plain abdominal radiographs, or a KUB, may show constipation, indicating overflow incontinence rather than diarrhea or dilated loops of small bowel with an infection. 
if concerned for inflammatory bowel disease or infectious colitis, computed tomography or CT or magnetic resonance imaging or MRI of the abdomen could demonstrate bowel wall thickening. Is endoscopy indicated? Endoscopy is primarily indicated when there is a high suspicion for inflammatory causes that can be visualized in the mucosa and require biopsies. Diseases that require endoscopic confirmation include inflammatory bowel disease, celiac disease, food allergies, gastroesophageal reflux disease, peptic ulcer disease, and eosinophilic diseases. Endoscopy may also be considered if highly suspicious for an infectious cause, but initial stool testing is negative and therefore mucosal biopsy specimens or aspiration of intestinal fluids are required. Case point 29.4. Microscopic examination of the stool demonstrates Giardia lamblia. Diagnosis is chronic giardiasis. So what is Giardia lamblia? Giardia lamblia is a microscopic protozoan that can infect the small intestine of humans. It is the most commonly identifiable parasite in the United States. However, it is much more common in developing nations than in westernized nations because it is usually transmitted via drinking unchlorinated water contaminated with raw sewage. Person-to-person transmission can also occur, such as through household members, unprotected anal sex, and institutions such as nursing homes or daycare centers. Time for a basic science clinical pearl. Chronic giardiasis is also known as beaver fever because it can be contracted by drinking the water from lakes and streams where beavers or muskrats reside. The incubation period of G. lamblia is about one to two weeks after exposure. Symptoms can include diarrhea, gas, bloating, vomiting, abdominal distension, anorexia, fever, and headache. Infection can cause chronic diarrhea with weight loss in healthy children, although this is more common in immunodeficient patients, particularly those with immunoglobulin A deficiency. Chronic giardiasis can cause failure to thrive with malabsorptions of vitamins A and B12, lactose, and fat. Time for a basic science clinical pearl. Symptoms of vitamin A deficiency include nyctalopia or night blindness, keratinization of the conjunctiva, xerosis or dry skin, xeropthalmia, which is dry eye with a lack of tear production, recurrent infections, osteoporosis, and poor tooth development in young children. Time for another basic science clinical pearl. Symptoms of vitamin B12 deficiency include fatigue due to macrocytic anemia, muscle aches and depression, and higher risks for infertility, heart disease, multiple sclerosis, and rheumatoid arthritis. About half of vegans and vegetarians are deficient in B12. Time for another basic science clinical pearl. Lactase is the enzyme which digests the milk sugar disaccharide lactose into monosaccharides, glucose, and galactose. Malabsorption of lactose in the small bowel leads to its fermentation in the colon, resulting in flatulence, diarrhea, and abdominal pain and distension. Diagnosis of G. lamblia can be made in several ways. Traditionally, the organism is seen in either the cyst or trophozoate form. When stool is sent from an ONP examination under the microscope, If the organism cannot be detected non-invasively, identification of the trophozoite 
can also be made microscopically with an endoscopic small bowel biopsy or duodenal fluid aspiration. Fecal antigen testing via enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, or ELISA, is more rapid and has a higher sensitivity and specificity for giardiasis. However, O plus P should still be ordered to check for the presence of other parasites, especially in those with compromised immune system. The life cycle of G. glamblia is depicted in figure 29.2. Time for another basic science clinical pearl. Ideally, three separate samples should be sent for OMP. Three stool samples can increase the detection rates for Giardia lamblia to over 90%, as opposed to one sample which has a detection rate of 60 to 80%. Lack of discovery of this protozoan via OMP can be due to low levels or intermittent shedding of the organism. How should the patient be managed? G. lamblia can be treated with nitroimidazoles, nidazoxanides, paromyosins, nitroimidazoles, which include metronidazole, ornidazole, secnidazole, and tinidazole, are highly effective against G. lamblia and other protozoal infections. Metronidazole enters the trophozoid and interfering with respiration and causing DNA damage, leading to death. Another benefit of this drug is its rapid absorption penetration into tissue and mucosal secretions. Nidazoxanide can be considered for patients with multiple types of enteric infections as it has a broad spectrum of activity not only against protozoans but also against some bacteria and helminths. Paramomycin, an aminoglycoside, is a proposed treatment for G. lamblia in cases of pregnant patients and resistance to the previously mentioned drugs. It also has activity against Entamoeba histolytica and Trichomonas. Other symptomatic household members should be checked for the presence of the organism. Reinfection can be prevented by careful hand washing and avoidance of ingesting unchlorinated water from pools, lakes, wells, hot tubs, and countries with poor sanitation. Case point 29.5. The patient is treated with a 10-day course of metronidazole with resolution of her foul-smelling diarrhea. When she is seen back in clinic one month later, she has improved appetite and has gained one kilogram. Time for our Beyond the Pearls. Failure to thrive should be managed by a multidisciplinary team, including a primary care physician, appropriate subspecialist, dietitian, social worker, mental health providers, and occupational therapists, as indicated. Following acute gastrointestinal illnesses, children can typically resume their normal diet after the vomiting phase has ended. However, post-infection malabsorption may occur, particularly after prolonged diarrhea persisting past one week. Inflammatory or infectious mucosal damage causes loss of enzyme production at the brush border enterocytes, thus producing secondary malabsorption, which is particularly common for lactose. Up to 40% of patients experience lactose intolerance post-GRDA treatment. This can be confused for continued symptoms due to chronic giardiasis. In repeat stool testing, if repeat stool testing is negative for the parasite, the child should be put on a lactose-free diet for several weeks. Infection with cryptosporidium species 
protozoans can present similar to chronic giardiasis. It can also cause chronic infectious diarrhea in primarily immunocompromised hosts, including those with human immunodeficiency virus. In immunocompetent children, infections are generally acute, although fluid and electrolyte losses can be profound. Exposure history may include contact with contaminated uncooked foods or water. Diagnosis is made by identification of the organism in the stool under microscopy or in biopsies from the proximal small bowel. Like giardiasis, treatment includes antiparasitic agents such as nidazoxanide. Celiac disease should be considered in children with chronic diarrhea, particularly in those who exhibit symptoms after the introduction of gluten-containing foods. Gastrointestinal manifestations of celiac disease include failure to thrive, chronic diarrhea, and abdominal pain and distension due to lactase deficiency. Extraintestinal manifestations include short stature, delayed puberty, rashes, and nutritional deficiencies such as iron and fat-soluble vitamins. So let's summarize the case. What was our complaint in history? A 16-month-old female presents with her foster mother to clinic with a one-month history of loose, foul-smelling stools with that, which leak out of her diaper and onto her clothing. The stools are brown, non-bloody, and are noted to float in the toilet. Findings. On examination, she has normal vital signs but is underweight for age. She is noted to be thin, well-kempt, active toddler with non-dysmorphic features. Her abdomen is mildly distended and tympanic. Digital rectal examination reveals soft stools in the rectal vault and normal rectal tone. She has decreased subcutaneous fat stores in her extremities. Her examination is otherwise unremarkable. Labs and tests. Laboratory workup includes normal CBC and serum chemistries. Her stool is sent for bacterial culture and microscopic examination for ova and parasites. Stool antigen testing is positive for G. lamblia. Diagnosis, chronic giardiasis. Treatment, the patient is treated with a 10-day course of metronidazole with resolution of her foul-smelling diarrhea. When she's seen back in clinic one month later, she has improved appetite and has gained one kilogram. And this concludes case 29. Again, this is Dr. Parastu Khalasi Hosseini. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.